<laughs> Thank you, Sam. I appreciate that. We'll tie that in in just a second. The trumpet call is something that's very important if you are in the ministry. No, I don't think so. In the military. Because because really, so before I was a pastor, I was a musician. And before I was a musician or before I went to college for a degree in music, I was in the military. In the military, you had these uh, ceremonies, these different times of the year. And actually, this is ceremony season, if you don't know it, about the United States Military. Right around this time of year, the Navy, it's their, it's their ball every year on, on October, uh, let me get the date right, October 13th uh, is the Navy birthday. And so they celebrate their birthday and there's all this pomp and circumstance that goes behind it. And so uh, I served in the Marine Band and so we would play a lot of military ceremonies, one of them being the Navy uh, birthday ball. There was all these different pomp and circumstance that goes into that. And then the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps birthday is November the 10th. And so because of that, there's again, this, uh, all these different ceremonies. All of these different uh, public displays of, of pomp and circumstances that, that we gather together and we, we share a meal together and all those different things. And then, of course, uh, November 11th is Veterans Day. And so there's all these ceremonies that go into this. And so if you don't know it, right now uh, and all over the world, if there's a military base that certainly is a Navy base or Marine Corps base, over the next about six weeks, almost every night of the week, there is a trumpet player somewhere playing all different types of bugle calls in order to gather people together. And there are tons and tons and tons of bugle calls. I don't know if, if you realize it. I didn't until I was in the Marines. There was, there was a trumpet call that most of you are familiar with, Reveille. That's what you're supposed to wake up to uh, in the morning. And then there's a trumpet call for attention. So if you hear the call, you're supposed to snap to attention. But there's also a trumpet call, a bugle call for the chow hall, like the, the food's ready. So that's one that most of the guys get to know. And, and they hear that bugle call and they all come running because the food's ready. But there's, there's all types of trumpet calls. There's trumpet calls for ruffles and, 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 and uh, flourishes is the name of that one. So you have snare and trumpet that play. There's all these different things that bring people together. And then, of course, if you're the president of the United States, there's a specific trumpet call for you. If I'm coming up to the platform this morning, in some ways, if you are from a military background, if you were watching online, if you heard that trumpet call, it seems like uh, Pastor Milo coming to the stage after that trumpet call is a little out of place. It's a little, little, you know, he doesn't rate that uh, in most situations, and I would agree with you, I don't. Uh, it makes some of us a little bit uncomfortable. Uncomfortable maybe because you were sitting too close to the trumpet and you didn't see it coming, so it just kind of shocked you. And certainly the, the bugle players, the trumpet players that would play Reveille early in the morning, they were all about the shock factor. They wanted to make sure that everybody knew that they were there. And I think, Sam, you do that at camp in the summers to make sure everybody knows uh, that it's time to wake up. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Uh, if you're watching online and you have, we haven't met yet and, and, and you're seeing us here and you're getting a view kind of into what happens in our church services on a Sunday, uh, you need to know we're watching you too. We can see you right now as well. We can see that you're in your jammies. Uh, no, actually we can't. You know that we can't. Um, but, but there's people, no, I was going to say there's people in the room in their jammies this morning, but then that would make them uh, feel uncomfortable as well. Uh, so my name is Pastor Milo. I, I'm glad to have you here with us this morning. We're in a sermon series that is going through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look on the screen, this is the uh, week number seven 
in this sermon series. And if you have uh, Words of Christ in red in your Bible like I do, this whole passage, this whole section of Scripture is in red because Jesus is giving this sermon. And these are the words of Christ, the Son of God, that are given to us. And so we need to pay attention to them to be aware of them. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, would you make your way there to Matthew chapter 6? And if you've got a Bible with you, we're glad to have you there. If you're, again, watching from home, get your Bibles out. Uh, we want to be a place where people remember to bring your Bibles, remember to bring something to write with and something to write on so that you'll be able to take away something that was said here this morning and help it stick uh, after the few minutes that we have uh, here together. For some of you, the trumpet may make you uncomfortable. Uh, back in 2012, I was part of a team of people who went to respond to Hurricane Sandy. Uh, some of you remember this because you were maybe in New York City when it happened or you were in that region when it happened. This was a pretty catastrophic hurricane, particularly for the Northeast. We don't normally see them come this far up the coast. And to hit that big of an urban center, this was a pretty big deal. And so it was right at this time of year that, that it happened and, and we went with a team from Buffalo. We went down to New York City and there was a, a number of us that went for about a week and served in different areas and different places and different boroughs. And particularly for me, I spent most of my time uh, serving on Staten Island. Island because it was an area that was particularly hit uh, bad. And so we were there and we were in people's basements just helping people uh, carry these uh, sofas and all these things were just saturated in mud and water and just trying to get them out of the house and trying to get them to the street before their houses are just totally destroyed because they can't air out and can't uh, clean themselves out. And so just all the work that went into that. And so as we arrived, the first day, just the shock of being there, as we arrived, we kind of walk around the city. And, and, and just like you always do when you go to the city, you start taking pictures and, and you start being a tourist and you take pictures of all the big buildings that you haven't seen before. And then uh, you take pictures now of all the things that you're seeing that are out of place in all of those big buildings, the way that, that there's mud seemingly up the first whole story of this skyscraper. And you take pictures of that. And then as we, uh, we were able to get off of the train and make our way into Staten Island, we we weren't going to have public transportation, so we had to hike a good number of blocks to get to where they needed help. And as we're hiking through these neighborhoods, we're taking pictures of the damage, and, and you realize, you get this uncomfortable feeling, particularly as you're coming in, that you are taking pictures of people's lives. You're taking pictures of everything that they own that has now been dragged to the curb, covered in mud and slop, and they are picking through what's left of their lives, and you're taking pictures of it. It only took a few minutes, maybe an hour at most, to realize we were going to be there for a week, and these might be the last pictures we were going to take because of the realization of how offensive it really was. Maybe look back to last summer. See, in 2012, it was out there, but I don't know that it had the same influence as it does today, the idea of a YouTube social influencer. That's, that's something we all understand now. Maybe it was kind of a new idea 10 years ago, but this same type of thing happened uh, last summer many times. There's many different documentations of this happening that, that while there were the riots in many cities and cities are burning and being devastated, that, that a car would pull up and, and a person would get out with a film crew and they would take their, their drill, their cordless drill, and run over a hammer and, and screw in some wood on the side of a building that had been on fire the day before and someone would get a video of it and they would show how they were working so hard and then they get back in their car and drive away to the next spot so they could really get a good photo op. Now I find that offensive. I think most of us do. That makes me uncomfortable. 
as we look here at the context of what's happening in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has begun the sermon, if you'll remember, with the Beatitudes. And he starts talking about the, the least of these, those who are farthest away, it would seem, from, from the inner circle, those who are weak. The Beatitudes are talking about those that are poor in spirit and those who are weak and those who cannot help themselves. And Jesus is saying, these are the very people that I'm interested in. These are the very people that I'm going to build, he says, the kingdom of heaven on. And what happens as we go through, as we, we go through the Beatitudes, and then last week as we made our way into, we start talking about some of the laws and some of the rules that people were living by. Some of the rules are simple ones, it would seem, or, or maybe it's not that simple. We said, we're not going to murder each other. That was the standard. That was, that was the bar. And Jesus raises the bar we talked about last week and said, no, I, I don't want to be able to, to have any hate be in your heart at all. If you speak ill will of your brother or your sister, you're just as guilty as the person who has murdered their brother or their sister. And so what Jesus is doing is he is taking the law, he's taking the things that they thought that they understand, this code that they said that they were living by, and he's raising the bar, he's elevating the awareness to be able to say, no, maybe that's how you religious people of the day live, but the kingdom of God people, they're going to live by a different code. They are going to live a different way. And as we get here to Matthew chapter 6, we really get the highlight of the hypocrite. The highlight of the hypocrite. And even as I talk about hypocrites, it makes me uncomfortable and it makes you a little bit queasy to talk about hypocrites. It's cringeworthy, someone who has a hypocritical faith. Someone whose faith is on display for all to see, but it doesn't seem very real. As I look back over the last couple of years, uh, particularly this time frame that we all now as a globe have in our mindset, the time of the pandemic. When we look back at that time frame, we look back at all that has happened. Most of us will look back and there are things that were uncomfortable about it, things that were unpleasant about this season. And we believe that we're beginning to come out of it and we hope that we are. But when we look back and we look at the situation that we're in, it's not the virus itself that was the bad part of 2020-21. It wasn't the, the sickness itself. It wasn't the pain and the suffering itself. In many ways, it was the hypocritical behavior all around us that was so painful when we look back, so cringeworthy to say, oh, that politician said this before he got elected, and now that politician is saying this. How hypocritical of him, or how hypocritical of her. That person said that, that masks were the important thing, but now they're saying something entirely different. How hypocritical of him, or how hypocritical of her, or the church was saying this. The church was saying that, but they are behaving like this or like that. And that's what makes my heart sad. That's what, that's what hurts the most, I think you would agree, with the last year to two years of everything that we've gone through is hypocritical faith on display for all to see. And so what Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, he puts out this challenge. And all the things that we're going to look at this morning, he puts out this challenge. Beware of your motives, 
he tells us. He's going to put this challenge out here to say, there are many things that you can do. There's many behaviors that you can have, but if your heart is in the wrong place, beware of it. Be aware of yourself in this. Check this out, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful, the New International Version says. Be aware not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others is what he tells us. There's this balance that is being taught. Because if you remember just a few verses ago in chapter 5. In chapter 5 after the Beatitudes we get this framework that says to be salt and to be light for all the world to what? To see. To demonstrate for them what real faith looks like. What it looks like to be a kingdom of God person. I want you to display that in light. And to to salt the earth in a way that they would know that you have been there. He says be careful is the transition that happens here. He says be careful, be aware. We are to be salt and light. To be seen by the world. But don't be motivated by the world. You see, Jesus teaches us that righteousness is a good thing. Righteous living is a good thing. We are being sanctified. We are being made righteous by the work of God in our lives. Righteousness-ing. Put an I-N-G at the end of that word. We are righteousness-ing, meaning we are growing in righteousness. We are learning what it means to be developed and to be built and to be sanctified to become more like Christ. But Jesus says, be careful because what is your motivation? And what he's going to do over the next number of verses, he's going to make a comparison of those who are religious people for the sake of being religious people. The religious rulers of the day are standing right there in front of them. They are hearing what he has to say. He says, or do you want to be the least of these, the forsaken by the world, those who seem like they are of no value, but in God's terms and in God's currency, they are part of the kingdom of heaven. So beware of your motives, he says, beginning in verse 2, when you give. So there's going to be a few things we're going to share with you here this morning. And each one of the three things I'm sharing with you here this morning, each one that Jesus shares with us, he always starts with this phrase, when you. So he is giving the assumption, he's setting the baseline that we are to be people who give. The audience that he is talking to, the Jewish audience that he's speaking to there in that place and in that time, were expected to give, to be giving people. They were expected at the end of six years that on the seventh year that their land was going to be unused. For that seventh year because it was a sabbatical year. It was a time to let it breathe, let it give. All the debts were supposed to be given over on the seventh year. This is the culture that they live in. They're supposed to give. There was no welfare system. There was no way to take care of people in their community unless they were giving people. And so we are reminded here first, when you Give, continue on, Matthew 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as. Thank you, Sam. 
We don't need that at any other point during the service, Sam. There's a few other examples, but we don't need it anymore. We get the idea. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as hoodoo. The hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they can be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Can you imagine the charade of what's going on here? That, that really, I mean, you heard the trumpet, so that, that really, that there would be people coming and, and helping that poor person who is sitting on the front steps of their church, or the front steps of the synagogue when they come in, that they're to that person, but as part of their entourage, they have a bugler, they have a trumpet player playing trumpets and celebrating the fact, look at me, I am giving to the poor. How ludicrous is that? In our culture, we would call that a photo op. The reward that we see here, they have received their reward in full. And here is the reward. The reward of the photo op is to be honored by others. When I was there in New York City on this mission trip, that was, that was the underlying tone of, of what the locals were saying. When people were coming in to help and when the mayor would swing by and they'd see his vehicle drive through, as they would come through the town, they'd say, well, he's just here for a photo op. There was nothing positive in that connotation. How hypocritical of him, they would say. And what we see here is that this charade, that imagine that, like the, the parade that is being shown, like, like the, the band is here, we're celebrating, this, this person is giving. And it's all a charade. It's all a photo op. And Jesus said, if that's the way you want to approach giving, he said, you will get exactly what you asked for. He says the, the reward of the photo op is this. You will be honored by others. Our world understands this. The culture that we live in understands this. We celebrate when people give to things. We, we throw all the pomp, all the circumstance. We get excited. We put it all over the web and make sure that everybody knows what someone has given. And Jesus says you'll get the full reward. The full reward to be honored by the people around you. Honored by others. But is that your motivation? And he contrasts it with this, verse 3. He says, but when you give, so first he said, so when you give, so he's making sure that people know you are supposed to give, you are supposed to take care of these things, but he says, but when you give, when you, kingdom of God people, when you give to the needy, he says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may remain in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. So if we know what the reward of the photo op is, then the reward of this, a heartfelt faith, is this, to be honored by God. He says, I will see what you're up to. I will see what you're doing. So he says, says do it secretly so that if, if you give with your right hand, that your left hand doesn't even know that you're, you're being secretive about this. To be honored by God. 
You see, it's actually pretty easy to get drawn into the idea of trying to be honored by other people. All over college campuses, all over our country, many churches around our country and around the world have the names of people over their buildings. Friends, we are at Randall Memorial Baptist Church. That name is used to honor someone, the pastor of this church, who believes so strongly, particularly in, in during the Civil War era, as this church, as people from this church were part of the Underground Railroad. He said, we believe in it so strongly that we're going to take the elders and deacons of the church, we're going to go fight at Gettysburg to make sure that our, our standards and our faith and our heritage, and we're standing up for them. But what was the response of the people was to name the church after a person. Now, whether that was his motivation or not, I don't believe that it was. But it is a cultural thing that's mis misleading. It's pursuing the honor of others when we are supposed to be pursuing and honoring God and let him honor us in his time and in his place. You see, that's the reward of a heartfelt faith. Let's continue on. Beware of your motives. When you pray, Jesus says, so don't miss this. Don't say, oh, so that I don't get caught in the trap of doing it the wrong way. I just won't pray at, at all. <laughs> wrong. When you pray, verse 5 says, and when you pray, do not be like the what? Hypocrites. There it is again. There it is again. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to what? To be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they will receive their reward in full. They will get exactly what it is that they are going for. So here's the reward of the photo op. It is to be seen by others. So those who are standing there on the street corner, standing in front of the synagogue, standing from the church, eloquently praying before God will get exactly what it is that they are looking for. Were they looking for an answer to prayer? Probably not. They were looking for people to what? To see them. He said, you'll get exactly what it is you're asking for, to be seen by others. And this isn't so far-fetched either. I, I picked on you a few weeks ago. I said, don't any of you ask me to pray for a meal anywhere from now on, right? Do you remember that? Because I said, you are each a citizen of heaven. You each have full authority to pray for a meal before the meal. Stop asking the pastor. But Thanksgiving is going to come, and someone's going to say, will you pray for the meal? And if you're the one who's asked to pray for the meal, I hope that you are, and if I'm the one asked to pray for the meal, if I begin by saying, Heavenly Father, thank you for all of these abundant gifts which we have here before us this afternoon. How absurd. Is that prayer for the purpose of giving thanks to God or to draw attention to oneself. Jesus is asking a question here about motivation. This is the reward of the photo op. Again, I'll go back to my time in the military. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ceremonies. And because it is part of the culture and part of the tradition, there is always a chaplain always praying for the ceremony. Always. And it is always a prayer 
that is rote, it is, it is stretched out, it's the exact same types of prayer every single time because it's part of the ceremony and it lacks any substance. I actually believe that many of those chaplains would want to pray for the health and welfare of the troops. But they frame it in such a way that makes sure that they name every one of the officers that are standing there in the ceremony that it loses its genuine nature. And so Jesus says, he said, you'll get the reward of the photo op. You'll get exactly what you're looking for, to be seen by others. But he contrasts it and he says, but when you pray, he says, this is how it ought to look. Go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father, who is what? Unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. So the reward of a heartfelt faith is to be seen by God. Do you see the value of that? It says go to your prayer room, go to your space where nobody knows where you are. Where nobody knows what's on your heart. Nobody knows what's hurting you, what's ailing you, the problems that you are going through today, the things that are inside of you that nobody, maybe not your spouse or your kids or your family, they don't know what you're going through. But I see that, he says. Pray to me about those things so that it's not about how you are seen, how, how well have you framed your prayer, but what your heart looks like before me. And he says, I will reward that. I will respond to that. When you pray, go to your room, close the door. Pray to your Father. If you are getting on social media and letting everybody know, I'm about to go into my prayer room where I'm going to meet with the Father. Miss the point. You've missed the point. You see, the reward of a heartfelt faith is not to be seen by others. It's to be seen by God. Beware of your motives, Jesus says. I'm going to jump down here to verse 16. Because what happens here is Jesus is teaching, and he takes this little bit of a sidestep. A sidestep that, that Tim, he preached a few weeks ago, talked about, and he went through the Lord's Prayer. Because he says, if you don't know how to pray, let me, let me just take this sidestep. Let me just show you the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He teaches that. And we've done that here a few weeks ago, but it's actually a sidestep. It's not actually the main train of thought that Jesus is getting across. Why do we know that? Because you look at how this is all framed out, because Jesus goes back to this idea. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as what? As the hypocrites do. So he's got the same framework of everything else he's been teaching us. So he took this sidestep to teach us what good prayer looks like, what healthy prayer looks like when you're in your prayer room. Then he says, comes back and he says, beware of your motives when you fast. Now most of you know that fasting, specifically in biblical times, was specifically about not eating a meal, And many times we have that as well, where we have a fast. Where we say we're going to take our time off and we're going to focus all of our energy and our effort on prayer when we would be eating. But a fast is not always about food. A fast can be about taking a fast away from television, a, a chance to retreat or a chance to reset, a chance to recharge. All of those things. I took a sabbatical this summer, that is, that is a, a, some type of fast from taking time away from the regular activities. What does Jesus tell us to be aware of? He says, when you fast, do not look somber as what? The hypocrites do, 
For they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. In the same framework again, he says, Truly I tell you, they have received or they will receive their reward in full. So what is the reward of the photo op fast? What's the reward? To be known by others. He said, you can do your fast your way. To look somber, to, to, to cover yourself, to disfigure your faces, to show everyone that you are fasting. Truly, I'll tell you, you'll receive all that you are looking for. And it was very much part of their culture in that day. Jews, when they would fast, uh, we see King David doing it when he is mourning the loss of his son. is a very specific example of it where they disfigure themselves and, and they, they cover themselves in ash and in dirt. And they, they lower themselves and tear their clothes and they have uh, even, even uh, singed clothes where they've burned the edges of their clothing in fire and different things like that to demonstrate so that everyone can see I'm fasting, I am mourning. Jesus says, if you want to get the attention of all the people around you so that they can mourn and they can fast with you or see how good you are at fasting, how good you are at recharging, how good you are at resetting, how good you are at taking a prayer time each day with God, you can demonstrate that if you want and you'll get the full reward of everyone seeing you do it. But, verse 17, but when you fast... Put oil on your head. Wash your face. Take a shower so that it will not be obvious to others. You see, that's the real reason that is going on here, that the fasting was obvious to everyone else, that obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is, again, unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The reward then of a heartfelt faith rather than a photo op faith is to be known by God. So you can fast if you want so that everyone else knows what you're up to. You can post it on social media. You can take out a newspaper ad. Let everybody know what it is that you're up to. But if you want to be known by me, maybe you need a different approach. See, the reward of the photo op faith is exactly what you're looking for. But if you're looking for something more, here's the challenge. I'll state it again. Verse 1 is to beware of your motives. Beware of your motives. Let me say it in a few different ways. Beware of your motives. Are you promoting yourself? When you are giving, whatever that looks like, whether you're giving your time, your talent, your treasure, which God is teaching us here, Jesus' words are saying, it is important to give. You should give. It's expected of you to give. When you do so, however, are you promoting yourself in the process or are you giving of yourself? Are you making a sacrifice of yourself? Beware of your motives. Secondly, beware of your motives. Are you hearing yourself? Are you hearing yourself? When, when you pray, when you, when you go and you speak about God and about the work that He is doing in your life, when you are publicly, when your voice is being shared, are you hearing yourself? Is that all that you're hearing? Or are you listening for the voice of God? Because that's what prayer is for. That we would align ourselves, our minds, attention, our hearts, affection that would be aligned after God's own heart. 
Beware of your motives. Thirdly, beware of your motives. Are you full of yourself? Are you just full of yourself when you should be filling yourself with God? You see, that's the idea, that's the concept, that's the work that is supposed to be done when a person is fasting, when a person is separating themselves of the things of this world so that they can be filled. That's the difference between uh, the way that we worship and the way that we practice worship is that we are not trying to empty ourselves. We're actually trying to fill ourselves. When we meditate on the Word of God, we are filling ourselves with God's Word. But for many of you, for many of us, we are too full of ourselves to be filled anymore. Beware of your motives. Are you promoting yourself? Are you hearing yourself? Are you full of yourself? Are you filling yourself after God? So here's the challenge again. Beware of your motives. Here's the great correction, as it usually is. The cross of Jesus Christ. You see, if we don't go here, if we miss the cross in this, then what do we do? We walk out of here this morning and say, I will try harder. I will work more at this. In sobriety, they call this white-knuckle sobriety. The idea of, I'll just do more. And Jesus says, you're already doing enough. Where's the motivation of your heart? Here's the correction at the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read a few verses to you. This is from Matthew chapter 27 when we see Jesus live this out for all to see. In Matthew 27, Jesus, the one who gave this Sermon on the Mount, he's going to live it out for us. In Matthew 27 verse 11, Jesus is standing before the governor. The governor is Pilate. And Pilate asks him, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said so. He says, I don't need to trump myself up here. I don't need to brag about myself, promote myself. And Pilate asked him, he said, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made what? No reply, not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. He looked at what was happening. He said, you're not going to defend yourself. You're not going to promote yourself. You're not going to talk about yourself. You're not going to try to hear the words coming out of your mouth, make you look better before this judge and this council. Verse 17 of the same chapter, when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked the crowd, he said, which one of you do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew, verse 18 says, it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. He knew their hypocritical spirit and their heart. It was out of their own self-ambition, self-interest, self-promotion that they were bringing Jesus before them. Not because he had done anything wrong. He was the innocent lamb who was to be slain. And Pilate knew it. And Jesus knew it. But he didn't have to promote himself. He didn't have to hear himself talk. Because he is Jesus. And his job was to correct the wrongs of this world, to be the savior for our sins. And so he went to the cross for you and for me. Sinless, he went to the cross without having done a single thing 
wrong. In your place and in my place, he went to the cross. Because of the Pharisees and because of you and because of my selfish ambitions and selfish interests and selfish desires, he went in my place. And at the end of the book of Matthew, we find him on a mountain again. This sermon is being shared. The sermon on the mount in Matthew 28, we find him on the mountain again. With the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee in Matthew chapter 28. They went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And he came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What does he have here? He has the full reward he deserves. Did it come from the others? No. Full authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth by God himself. Therefore, he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And he says this, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. If you're here this morning as the band comes forward, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've spent your whole life searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for ways to, be, to get the honor of others, to get the attention of others, to be seen by others, to be known by others. And you're still coming up with questions. Questions you don't even know how to put into words. I want to tell you, you can find your way. You can find your place. You can find Jesus in here, in this place today, the purpose that you're looking for, the meaning that you're looking for, the completion to every hole that you've been trying to fill in your heart. It can be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, if, if, if that's your story that's being played out, if you're watching at home and that's your story as well, you want to know that this church, it's our desire to help you navigate your way through that, that your, that your journey would begin and you'd be able to make your way through that struggle. It's not just this church, it's the church. It's a place where we provide free access to the most perfect and loving Heavenly Father there has ever been. And He sacrificed His Son for you and for me so that you could have a relationship with Him, so that you could be a part, so that you could be called a child of God. And to enter into that relationship with him, you don't have to do anything. Anything that is except the gift. Except, except the gift that he has offered you. He's already done all the work and all you need to do is accept it. If you're here and you want to start that journey today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, as we pray together, would you pray this prayer with me today? Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way for me. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for every mistake that I have made. I believe in you. I want to pursue you with all that I am in the rest of my life. I am yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.